This morning we're continuing this uh, sermon series, Marriage is a Team Sport. We've been saying that a successful, happy, long-lasting marriage is in many ways like a winning, successful sports team. And we've talked about some of the important things like having the right philosophy. God's philosophy is the we takes precedence over the me, that we're committed to each other, one flesh relationship. We've talked about to win, you have to have a good offense. So how do you bless your marriage? Um, you've got to do things that, that make it make it good and make it thriving. Last week we talked about defense, keeping your opponent from scoring. So how do you protect your marriage? And what are some of the boundaries, the, the, the buffers you put in place to protect your marriage because of the big struggle with uh, sexual attraction to someone who's not your spouse? So how do you protect your marriage from the damage that things like that can do? Today we're going to talk about the importance of developing critical skills. Because in sports, there are fundamental skills you have to be really good at to be a good player and for a team to, to win. And so in marriage, there are certain skills you have to develop. And marriage is a great place for developing those skills. I heard about a couple up north who were celebrating their 50th anniversary, so the family threw them a big banquet. And during the dinner, someone asked the husband what he had learned, some of the lessons he had learned from all those years of being happily married. And he said, well, I've learned that marriage is the best teacher of all. It teaches you loyalty, meekness, forbearance, self-restraint, forgiveness, and great many other qualities you wouldn't have needed if you'd stayed single. The truth is, if you're going to have a good marriage, you do need certain qualities that you don't need if you're going to be single. Now, they'll help you if you're single, but you will not have a great marriage without these qualities. And marriage is the perfect environment for developing these kind of qualities. I often tell young couples when I'm doing premarital counseling, as I wrote about in my blog post this week, that, that marriage, a good marriage, a good marriage is like looking in a mirror. In the give and take of your relationship, you begin to see things about yourself, realize things about yourself, things that, you know, I'm okay here, but in this area, I really need to get better. I need to adjust, change, improve. Because if in the give and take of your relationship, you're constantly focusing on the issues that your spouse has, you're not going to have a great marriage because it doesn't work. You can't change them. You can't fix them. The only person you can change is you. And in love, love means I'm always wanting to be a better me, a better husband, a better wife, a better person, a better Christian. So in the give and take of my relationships, marriage, yes, but you know, extended family, school, friends, you learn things about yourself. You learn that you do hurt people sometimes, that you're not perfect. And so you take ownership of that and you say, I've got to get better at that. In sports, you figure out what's the skills that are necessary to be really successful and which ones do I struggle with. So I'm going to work on getting better at those key skills. Same thing is true in, in marriage. Um, how many of you know anything about Pistol Pete Marriage? Remember that name? Raise your hand. You know Pistol Pete Maravich? All right, for you, all you young guys in here who like sports, Pistol Pete Maravich played for LSU 1968 to 1970, long before the three-point shot. He today still holds the record for the most points scored by any player in college basketball history. Played three years varsity ball. He averaged over 44 points a game for his career. I remember as a, as a young guy watching on television, LSU was playing Kentucky. Pistol Pete scored 64 points. Kentucky still beat him 20 points, but he had 64 points. He was a phenomenal player. John Havlicek, Hall of Famer of the Boston Celtics, and others will say that Pistol Pete Maravich was the best ball handler, the best at dribbling and passing, handling the ball of any player that's ever played the game. He did things in the late 60s, early 70s that people had never seen before. But here's what Pistol Pete would do. 
He spent about uh, uh, three years living in Clemson, went to Daniel High School. And he would go to the movies in the afternoon, 2, 3 o'clock when nobody was there. He'd go to the very front row. He'd walk over to the last seat on the right-hand side of the front row with his basketball watching the movie, and he would lean over and he would dribble that basketball in the carpeted aisle. He'd do that throughout the movie. When the movie was halfway over, he'd pick up his basketball, move to the other side, to the left side, front row, and he would sit there for the second half of the movie and with his left hand dribble that basketball on the carpeted aisle. I remember years ago reading about... um, times when he he would be in the passenger seat of the car with his dad driving, had the window rolled down, going kind of slow on a country road, and he would be dribbling the basketball out the passenger window on the highway. He had all these drills. There's no wonder that he became the best ball handler that has ever played the game of college basketball. So far ahead of his time because he was going to develop those skills. And his dad pushed him because they didn't have much money when he was young. And he said, the only way you and your brother are going to college is you have to have scholarships. So he practiced and practiced and practiced, 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 and he developed these skills that made him a phenomenal player. He did play for several years in the NBA until injuries forced his retirement. Well, in marriage, there are skills you have to have. And here's the thing. They don't come natural to most of us. When you stand before the preacher, God and your family say, I do to one another, you are not an expert at the skills you need to be a great husband or a great wife. They are learned. They are developed. You may have some of it, but it's got to get better. You've got to get better at these critical skills, and it's in the give and take of your relationship with one another. If you have the right heart, the right mindset, the right approach, you'll get better at those things. And if you get better at these skills, your marriage will get better. But if you don't practice and you're not intentional and you don't get better at these things, then your marriage is going to struggle. Now, there are more skills that need to be talked about than I can address in this one sermon. And I really can't go into depth on even one skill. I just want to hit some highlights and give you a biblical foundation. But here's the four skills I want to mention this morning that all of us need to be working on constantly, getting better at constantly in our marriage. The first one is learning how to talk to each other the right way. A lot of couples talk to each other, but it's the wrong way. Talking to each other the right way. Number two, learning how to listen to each other so that you actually hear what the other one is saying, what they mean, you understand. Number three, the skill of, of dealing with conflict positively, effectively, dealing with it. And number four, learning how to forgive one another. Because life happens and things happen, and all of us, I don't care who we are in our marriage, we're going to need those skills. I mean, life just happens. and it, it, you know. I asked Monisa to share with me some stories about our marriage because you know, that I can share with you today because, you know, everything I you know, comes to my mind, I've already told you many times and you've heard them. So I asked her and, and, and she called me earlier this morning after I got up to the church and, and she said, do you remember that anniversary? And I didn't. Um, and <laughs> it's a few years ago, it was our anniversary. And apparently she says there was some underlying tension. I remember one part of what happened that night, but I don't, you know, later. Your wife will always remember more than you do, guys. Just accept that. It's a reality, all right? And so we, we had this, there's a little bit of underlying tension. And uh, so we're going out to eat on our anniversary and, you know, didn't have a reservation. One place we wanted to go to didn't work out. Went to another place, nice restaurant. Standing there, you know, in the lobby waiting. And stood there like five minutes. Nobody ever came over and spoke to us. And so we were already kind of tense and I was mad. So we just got mad and left. Ended up going through the drive-thru at McDonald's and went home. <laughs> Great anniversary, great anniversary, okay? Anybody ever been in a situation, anything remotely like that? You ever had moments like that? Maybe don't even, uh, you kind of, don't tell me I'm the only one. No, uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, come on. It happens. Life happens, right? 
I mean, it, it just it just does. And so learning how to handle it when it happens, how to talk through it, how to resolve it, how to forgive, those skills are important to having a winning marriage. And I, I want to go one step further. I want you to understand that not only are these skills that, that marriage counselors and psychologists and some will say you need, these are skills that God says, I expect you to develop as a Christian. These are skills that God says, I expect you to put into practice in your life, in your relationship with your, as a husband and wife, in your relationships at church, in your relationships at work. These are skills that I expect you to have as a follower of my son, Jesus Christ. So not only are they important to your marriage, they're important to life. They're important as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And um, it's summarized in 1 Peter chapter 3. The words will be here on your screen. And then in a moment, if you want to open your Bible to Proverbs, we're going to, in systematic shotgun fashion, look at several verses in the book of Proverbs. But if you would look at this passage up here in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, here's what God says about it. He says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wife in an understanding way. Get to know her. Uh, Gary Chapman, you know, the five love languages, his needs, her needs, her personality type, what moves her, um, what's her dreams. Get Get to know her, understand her, get to know her as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. God says, if you don't do this the right way, it affects your spiritual life, your walk with Jesus Christ, your prayer life. And, and, and I don't have time to really dig into the details here, but the the essence of this verse is saying you're to view your wife like someone, like a valuable treasure. And when when it talks about being the weaker vessel, it's this idea of something that is is of great worth to you, but is fragile. And and many of us have have things that that we possess that, that are worth something to us, either financially or sentimentally. And you treasure them and you protect them because they could be broken, they could be destroyed. And that's how you're to view your spouse. That's how you're to view your marriage. This is a relationship that is of value and it's a fragile relationship because you could break it if you're not careful and don't do that. Instead, honor honor her. Now, he sums it up in verses 8 and 9. These are instructions to Christians in general and, and, and the church. But listen, if God expects us to behave a certain way at church, don't you think he also expects us to behave that way at home? Hmm? All right, so look at what God expects for you to do when you're at church. Definitely do this when you're at home. He said to sum it up in verse 8, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. You know, tit for tat. Got to get the last word in. Have to always be right. It's always about me. God says, if you want to have relationships with people that are meaningful and last, you don't do that. If you want to have a great marriage, you treat one another with kindness and dignity and respect, not returning insult for insult, not waiting for the other one to always, you know, make the first move, etc. And so I want you to, as, before I talk for a few moments about some of the practical suggestions for how do you develop these four skills, I want to just give you a biblical foundation in the book of Proverbs, several verses to just, just, you know, really lay down a deep biblical foundation that uh, God says this is how you are to behave. This is how, how you are to deal with your emotions, with conflict, with, with your speech, etc. in life, in all relationships, and, and, and definitely, definitely at home. And as, as Christians, as Baptists, we believe that the Word of God, this is His inspired, infallible, 
inerrant word. It is the authority for what we believe. It is the authority for what we practice, for how we live. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible is the foundation for my values, my, my view of the world, view of life, of relationships, and that is true of marriage. So what does God say about the way we're to handle all this stuff and conduct ourselves in life? Look in the book of Proverbs, starting at chapter 10. Book of Proverbs, chapter 10. We're going to sequentially and very quickly look through several verses. We won't have time to look at all of them, but a lot of them. Proverbs chapter 10, starting with verse 11. He said, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. That, that as a righteous man, righteous woman, when you speak, you're producing life, you're, you're blessing, you're generating something good, not violence, not things that destroy. How you speak, God says, makes the difference. And whether your marriage thrives or dies. It's true in other relationships, but it's true at home. Look in chapter 10 at verse 19. Chapter 10, verse 19. He said, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. God says sometimes the best thing you can do is not say what just popped into your mind. Because if you just keep talking and everything you think, everything you feel, you just blurt it right out, go ahead and do that and see how far that gets you, brothers and sisters. Sometimes saying nothing is better than just running off at the mouth. All right? Look at chapter 10, verse 32. Verse 32. He said, The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverted. Look at chapter 12, verse 18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. He said some people, they just, you know, it comes in their mind, it comes out their mouth, and it's like taking a sword and just sticking it in somebody's belly. Words cut. Words can cut deeply. They can wound. Listen, there. So, so, some of you in this room right now, you remember things that someone said to you years ago. They are part of your identity, how you see yourself. Or they are hurts and wounds you carry around. It can be something positive. I mean, I'm 57 years old. I remember when I was 17 and my French teacher in high school, after hearing me preach that Sunday morning, said, I think you found your calling. I still remember where she was standing, where I was standing, and that was an encouragement. You remember those kind of words. But you also remember the, 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 the words that uh, can hurt or the words that spur you on. Like, you know, the Sunday I, I preached and I wasn't doing too good and I got to going really wild and my notes flew off the pulpit and down under the communion table. And I was like 19 years old and had to walk off and get them. And this little old white-haired lady came up to me with a big smile on her face after the service, being as nice as she could be. And she said, I ain't got no doubt but that you're going to be a good one someday. <laughs> we remember, and in marriage, listen. You get into an argument and your spouse might bring up something you said 20 years ago. Words cut. They wound or they bless. And God says learning to tame your tongue and to speak the right way is critical to having a really, really good marriage. All right, somebody tell me what verse I got to. I lost my place. 12, 18. So I'm ready for 13. All right, chapter 13, verse 3. Um, he says, the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Uh, makes sense, what we were just talking about. Look at verse 10 of chapter 13. He said, through insolence comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. See, none of us start out knowing everything. 
We need to learn. Need to grow. And sometimes need to seek outside help, whether it's through books or conferences, whether it's through relationships with older people who've done it well. By the way, all of you who've been married 30 years right now, just put your hands up and wave and hoop and holler. You've been married 30 years or longer, 30 years or longer. Come on, put them up. All right. Now, all you, all you who haven't been married 30 years, all you who are teenagers or college students or whatever and want to be married and have a great marriage. All you older ones, you know, 30 years long, put your hands back up and just leave them up. Put them up. Find one of them and say, tell me, how'd you do that? Because you learn how to do it by seeking counsel from people who've done it, who understand it. When Monisa and I were younger and our kids were preschooler, we, we were having some differences of opinion about discipline. I mean, and kids are different and what works for one won't work for the other. And we were having that issue and we just didn't agree. And uh, so we went and got some help sat down with someone, and I have to be honest, it was her initiative. I was hesitant to do it. She was wiser than I was at that moment. We went and we sought help from someone. That's, that's what they do, and it helped. And you find ways to learn and compromise and figure out. But if you're so insolent and you're so arrogant and you're such a know-it-all and you've got to have the last word and you're not teachable, then it's going to make having a good marriage tougher. Okay? Tougher. All right, look at chapter 14 of Proverbs, verse 29. Proverbs 14, verse 29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Now, do these verses have anything to do with the skills I've mentioned that we need if we're going to have a great marriage life, learning how to talk to each other the right way, how to really listen to each other, how to deal with conflict? How to, do these verses connect to that any at all? See, I want you to understand that God says there are certain qualities I expect you as my disciple to have. And the added benefit is if you develop these qualities, you allow God to work in your life and grow these things, you'll have a better life. You'll have a better marriage. It it just works. All right? Look at chapter 15, verse 1. He said, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up trash. So true. So, 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 so true. Look at verse 4 of chapter 15. He said, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but per- perversion in it crushes the spirit. Have you ever said something and you watched your children or your wife and all of, or your husband and all of a sudden they're just, their demeanor just kind of fell down? Because words can crush people. Chapter 15, look at verse 28. He said, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Think before you speak. Think before you speak. Chapter 16, verse 23. He said, the heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Chapter 16, verse 24. He said, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones, and that is so true. Before I lost weight, when I would go to different places to eat that had biscuits to save money, by not getting dessert, get, I'd, I'd, I'd get biscuits, and then I'd ask the waitress to bring me some honey. And I had me a honey biscuit, and that was my dessert, and it wasn't any extra cost, and it made me fat. <laughs> but it tasted good. And God says good words are honey. They're sweet. Learning how to talk sweetens the marriage. Talking the wrong way sours it. You get the point? You got it? Okay, good. 
Look at chapter 17, verse 1. He said, Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Conflict is not fun. Verse 14, The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it takes, before it breaks out. Like, you know, you put a little hole in the dike, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because you need to learn how to resolve conflict. Learn how to deal with conflict. If you don't, the dam will break. Down will break and you'll pay for it. Look at verse uh, 27. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Now, I've got other verses. Those are just some. I'm going to give you a challenge. Take the month of May. Okay? Take the month of May. Read the book of Proverbs. And in your Bible, underline, highlight every verse that says anything about relationships, behavior, dealing with the things that impact relationships, and just allow God to speak to you, allow God to teach you, allow God to grow you. Take, will you commit to do that? Will you covenant to do that? Take the month of May, read the book of Proverbs, and note every verse that says anything about getting along with people, about relationships, handling your emotions, all of that stuff. I promise you it will benefit you. It will help you. Now, these four skills... You see the biblical foundation, why we need to do these things. God expects it, and it blesses marriage. Some practical things, just highlighting, because obviously not time to, not enough time to deal with them in any kind of depth. Learning how to talk to each other the right way, and these first two are going to build up to how do you deal with, how do you deal with uh, conflict. Talking to each other the right way. Avoid certain words, certain kinds of speech, because certain types of speech are like poison. You know, poison can make a person sick or kill someone. Poisonous words can make your marriage sick. Poisonous words can kill your marriage and lead it to divorce. What are some poisonous types of speech that that make marriage sick? Sarcasm. Ooh. Some of us are gifted at it. We use it with humor, but here's the problem. Sarcasm is a dig. Sarcasm cuts whether we intend to or not. Now, all of us are going to do that occasionally. I'm not saying that you know, never, ever. What I'm saying is if your pattern of communication, and, and I know people, some of you know people, you, some of you are people, your pattern of communication is sarcasm because you just don't know how to talk without trying to be funny, and the only way you know to be funny is to be sarcastic. What you're doing without realizing it is you are cutting and hurting and wounding people more than you realize. We're all going to do that some, okay? I get that. But if your primary pattern, if you find you, that you have a tendency toward a habit of communicating with sarcasm, man, you're hurting. You're hurting people. And if you do that in your marriage, you're wounding your spouse. Don't allow that to be the, the, the pattern for how you communicate. And other poisonous types of communication, disrespectful words. I see some couples, and, and, and hear my heart on this because... I see, I see some couples, the way they talk to each other, I wonder, why did you ever get married? So, you know, I understand at home we're ourselves, we're, you know, we're, you know, the guard comes down, I get that. But if you talk to your spouse disrespectfully, 
Why are you doing that? That's the person you're supposed to honor. That's the person God gave you. That's the person you're supposed to be one flesh with, your soulmate, the love of your life. And you're going to talk to your spouse worse than you talk to people at work or at church? Come on, man. Come on. Doesn't work. Don't talk to each other. You, you, should, you should talk to your spouse with great respect. Don't, don't use comparative words. You know, if you were like so-and-so or if you did what so-and-so did, if you're more like so-and-so, and by the way, parents, that doesn't work with your kids either. And it doesn't work in marriage. Selfish words. I don't care how you feel. I want a spouse who? Learn how to talk to each other. Build each other, build each other up. Some couples develop a pattern of criticizing and put-downs and so on, and the long-term damage is severe because of the wear and tear it does on the heart and on the intimacy of the relationship. Learning to be polite, kind, gentle, all the things we've read about. The, the verse there on the screen from Ephesians, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such word as good for edification. Encourage your spouse. Number two, learning how to listen to each other and really understand because we all get frustrated when people don't listen to us and don't really hear us right i remember a few years ago i went through a drive through at a mcdonald no at the bojangles here in rock hill early in the morning and uh pulled up you know roman window down where you give the order to drive through and the girl said welcome to bojangles would you like to try one of our new biscuits with pork tenderloin this morning and i said no thank you i just want a large coffee with a sweet and low that's all and the girl said a large coffee would you like cream and sugar with it I said, no, just sweet and low. And she said, would you like anything else? I said, no, that's all. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I just want a large coffee with sweet and low. That's all. Large coffee. You want cream and sugar? No, I, like I said, just sweet and low. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, now I get it. They, they hear that all day long and they're, going th- they're just going through the motion, right? I get that. But we do the same thing at home if we're not careful. Some, some, some men have a, you know, they've developed a really good skill. It's nodding, saying yes, not hearing anything she's saying. <laughs> right? Pretending to listen. And, and some ladies struggle to focus on one issue. And so by the time the conversation's done, the, the guy's head is spinning, and he doesn't know what we're talking about because we talked about 15 different things that don't connect. But in her mind, they did connect. Listening is hard work. Guys, you got to look at her. You got to ask follow up questions to get clarification. Am I, here, here's what I'm hearing you say. Is that, is that what I'm, is that what I'm, what you're saying? Get clarification. And ladies, narrow the scope of the conversation just a little bit. Okay? Okay? I mean, uh, you all can do gymnastics in your mind that I, I'm, I'm, I, I still don't understand. So narrow it down for us, guys, okay? Focus on, on that one issue because, you know, we're not jumping interstates with you like as fast as you do, okay? So stay there. And, guys, ask those, clarify, and don't be thinking about what you're going to say in response while the other one's still talking. When you're formulating your reply, you're not listening. You're not understanding. You're trying to win. You're trying to defend, deflect all of that stuff. All right. All right, I uh, <laughs> I got to go on. Uh, number three, learning how to deal with conflict. Because all of us are going to have conflict in our marriage, right? 
And it, when, when it's not resolved, when it's not dealt with and it stays there, it festers and it, and it builds up and it, and it hardens and makes things more complicated. The problem is, listen, most marriages are not done in because of one or two really big things. Now, some are, but most aren't. Most marriages are done in because of the buildup over years of little things that were never resolved and dealt with. And as that big old pile of stuff gets bigger because it's not resolved, the hearts get hardened and, and, and the intimacy wanes. And, and, and after a while, you, you, well, we need to go see a marriage counselor or go talk to the preacher. And it's so complicated by then and so many layers. It's festered so much. It's really hard to clean that up and fix it. That's why you need to resolve these things as you go along in life and go along in your married relationship. I, I heard about a couple... They were, having, they were having troubles and fighting and things weren't going well and they started giving each other the silent treatment, went on for several days, ended up sleeping in separate rooms. And the, the husband had an early business flight that he couldn't miss and he knew he needed his wife's help to make sure he got up on time, but he, did, he didn't want to break. He, didn't, he did not want to be the first one to break the silence. He was stubborn. So he wrote her a note and put it on the stand beside her bed and uh, it said please wake me up at 5 a.m next morning he woke up 9 a.m missed his flight he was angry ready to rush into her room and just let her have it when he noticed on the stand beside his bed a note it read it's 5 a.m wake up You know those times when you're laying in bed, you're looking at that wall, and the other one's looking at that wall, and you want to make up, but nobody's going to make the first turn? Stupid. But we've all been there, right? In dealing with conflict, don't use absolute language like, always, you always, you never. Because when you talk like that, when you deal with conflict like that, the other one immediately becomes defensive because even though they sometimes do it, they don't always do it because you've now hurled such a big attack. Man, they're going to fight back. It doesn't work to use absolute terms like that. And, and, and you're wrong because it's not always or never. It might be a lot of times, but it's not always. So, so stop it. It doesn't work. No name-calling, no threats, no hitting below the belt. Don't make assumptions. That's one of the biggies. Don't make assumptions. Don't assume you know why they did something. You can focus on the behavior or the speech, but when you, when you start assuming their motivation, you're talking about stuff that you don't really know. It's guesswork. That's why you have to talk about what, why, what's really going on. Don't make assumptions and don't hurl accusations. Clarify the issue. Validate your spouse. I love you. And, and I'm committed to this marriage. And then be part of the solution. When I, was, when I was in college, I remember being in a workshop, and they taught us a technique. It may seem a little silly to you, but if you really get the point of it, the gist of it, it will help. And it's the idea that when you're talking and, and, and there's conflict, it, it applies to any relationship, but really at home as well. Um, you know, affirm, you know, I love you, and I know you love me, and, 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 and we're committed to each other. And I don't believe you meant it this way, or when you did that, here's what you were intending but when, when you said such and such or when you did such and such, this is how it made me feel. This is what it said to me. Because you're focusing then on how it impacted you, not on their motivation, because you may be wrong. You're not accusatory. And because it brings it down, you're more likely to resolve it. And that's a skill that some of you would be very wise to develop in your marriage. 
Just a word to the wise. Okay? All right, close this up. Learning how to forgive each other. Because holding on to hurts and wounds kills intimacy. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness means you're not seeking revenge. And if you're the one who did the hurting, own it. You're right. I messed up. I was wrong. Don't always be defensive. Learn to be contrite and apologize. Like I said, most of the damage in marriage is caused by all those little things, not the big things, but those little things that pile up. And so learning to forgive and move beyond the little things as they're happening is critical. Otherwise, your marriage, you know what you end up saying? Here's the kind of things I hear. If you don't deal with the little things over the years, here's what we just drifted apart. We just gradually stopped loving each other. It's because you didn't do the little things along the way in terms of dealing with conflict and issues or the little things along the way to, of offense, of blessing your marriage and protecting, the little things along the way of defense and protect, the little things along the way. Because if you don't do the little things, you'll say those things. I, I don't know what happened. We just drifted apart. We just, we, you know, it's not like it used to be. And it's usually the little things that got you to that breaking point that just piled up and piled up and piled up and piled up. Now, listen. You will never regret learning how to listen to your spouse. You will regret if you spend years in a pattern of not listening, of ignoring, of deflecting. The day will come when you will regret that big time. And you'll want to fix it, but it may be too late. It's the little things along the way that matter. So, What's the skill? If you, could, if, you could, if you could name one skill that God is saying to you right now, I want you to develop this skill. I want you to work on this fundamental skill. What would it be? And if you're, you're married, just through the interaction as husband and wife, you probably already have a pretty good idea what that one skill is, don't you? And it may be something I haven't even mentioned today. That's okay. The key is not... What I've talked about, the key is you working on the skill that, that you know needs to be worked on so you can be a better husband, a better wife, and therefore have a better marriage. What is that one skill? Because you've got to name it, you've got to own it, and then you've got to be intentional and do something about it. Because if you don't own it and you're not intentional, you'll never get better at it. What is that one skill? And I want to say to all the young adults in here that aren't married, you're not going to be a perfect husband or perfect wife the day you say, I do, and neither will the person standing beside you. But you can prepare yourself by working on certain things now before that day. So all the teenagers in here, what, just in your friendships and just in, your, in general in you, what's the skill that you need to get better at so that when that day comes that you stand before that man, that woman, you say, I love you and I do and I want to spend the rest of my life with you so that you can bless your marriage. The more you can do on the front side, the better it will be on the back side. Don't wait. Start now. So what is that one skill for all you teenagers? Ask your friends. If you give them permission to be honest, they'll tell you because they know what you're not good at. <laughs> you're too sensitive. I don't know what it is, but they'll tell you, okay? And work on it. Work on it. Work on it. So let's stand. Father, I thank you for the men and women in this room, the, the young adults, the teenagers, the kids. And, God, I, I'm thankful for life and for relationships and for marriage and for love. 
And God, I just, I pray, Father, with all my heart that you help each one of us to not blow it. Each of us, God, to learn and grow. God, I pray for those who are struggling and hurting right now that your love will so envelop them that they see hope. I pray, God, you will help them. In Jesus' name, amen. We welcome you. We invite you to kneel here at this altar and pray. Maybe you want to pray about that one skill. Pray as a couple. Pray for your family. We invite you to come. We invite you to to join our church. This is where God wants you. We want you to be a part of our family of faith. Come and tell one of these pastors, I'm going to become a member of and, and become committed to First Baptist Church. Some of you need to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Jesus Jesus is the perfect example of dealing with conflict because the book of Romans says that our sin created enmity, conflict between us and God. Our sin separated us from God because our bad behavior hurt the heart of God. God says, I love you. And I'm going to make a way for it to be resolved. And so he sent his son. He took the initiative. He rolled over in the bed, so to speak. He took the first step with his son dying on the cross to say, I love you so much that I'm not going to allow what you have done to stay between us. If it stays between us, it's because you choose to let it stay between us. I'm offering myself, God says. I'm offering love and I'm offering forgiveness. Will you welcome it and welcome me into your life? Will you commit yourself to me, he says. And I'm inviting you right now to come to Steve or Jamie and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus and I'm so glad that he welcomes me and wants to forgive me and love me. So let's sing together. Whatever decision you're making, anywhere in this room, we wait for you. You come right now quickly to start walking. Let's sing together. You come on right now.